Well, again, we want to welcome all of you. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're connected there at the Smyrna Campus. Everybody connecting with us online. We're glad that you found us uh, here online as well. Uh, I'm going to ask our lighting people back there, if they would, just to bring up the lights a little bit in the auditorium. I like to look right into the eyes of the people while I'm speaking to them that are here at this campus because I see you when you doze off and all of that stuff. I just want you to know I want to have the lights up enough to catch you not just dozing off, but doing good things too, like taking notes and things like that. So we're so glad you are with us today. Uh, we are in a series called Be Encouraged. Everybody likes to be encouraged, right? Everybody likes to be encouraged. I can remember way back in the day in high school, Friday night lights with football, and I was on the team, and we would come out of our dressing room. We had, we had this stadium that we play in in my hometown that's called the Granite Bowl. It's a whole stadium made out of granite. It's just a great environment for high school football, and the lights would be on, and the, the band would be lined up and be playing the fight song, and the cheerleaders would be lined up out there cheering us as we came onto the field, and everybody wants to do better for that kind of encouragement. Now, here's the thing. We didn't always do real well. We didn't. But we were able to get through it and do our best, thanks a lot to the encouragement that we got from the fans and the band and the cheerleaders and everybody cheering us on. That town really got behind their high school team and supported it. Well, it's true for everybody, not just in sports, not just in athletics, you have a little baby that's starting to learn to talk. What do you do? Oh, that's so good. Yay, they said dada first, right? That's the one you're going for is dada. So the dad is working hard when mom's not in the room. Say dad, 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 right? Right in front of the baby. They're trying to encourage the baby. And, and then the baby starts trying to walk. And even when they're stumbling and falling, you're just, yay, that was so great, right? And the baby gets all excited and falls down because it's too excited. But babies love encouragement. Everybody loves encouragement at whatever level you're at. That's why when our kids do some really good thing at school and they bring the paper home, what do you do with it? You've got a good grade, you put it up on the refrigerator, right, to encourage them to keep doing well, to keep putting forth that effort. It doesn't stop, though, as you get older. Even as adults, we like to get encouragement. It doesn't matter what your role is, what level you're at. Uh, everybody... And when you're trying to do something and you're trying to do it well, it feels good to get that feedback, that encouragement. And, and friends, what we're focusing on today is a message called the cycle of encouragement. It's how when you get encouraged, then you can encourage others, and then they will encourage others. And it's a cycle that really helps everybody do better, feel better, perform better because of the encouragement, the cycle of encouragement that's out there. It's a very scriptural thing, by the way. To be an encourager. In fact, all Christ followers are called to this. All Christ followers are called to be encouragers. We're going through the book of 2 Corinthians. You could go, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 7. This is Paul's second letter to the church there. The first letter, remember, was a really hard correctional letter, disciplinary letter. The second letter is more of an encouraging letter. But before we get to that, just hold that now. 2 Corinthians 7, we'll pick up with verse 2. The letter to the Hebrews was written to people who were already Christ followers. And in that letter, there's several passages that really emphasize how all of us as Christ followers are called to be encouragers. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, it says this, 
but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He says, here's the the problem for all of us. As we go out there in the world trying to live our lives as Christians, as Christ followers, and represent them well, the world, which means, you know, the the, the ungodly things in the world, the the work of Satan in the world, all of those things attack and, and wear on us over time. And if we don't get some encouragement along the way, it's much easier for us to be hardened in our thinking about the deceitfulness of sin and how dangerous and bad sin is. And we might be more likely to enter into sinful activities and lifestyles if we're not encouraged. Later on in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, he says, let us consider, and I remember he's writing to Christ followers, people who already know Jesus, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. When you came in today, did you encourage anybody? That's part of the reason we assemble together. We're supposed to be encouraging each other. That's part of the purpose of the gathering of the church. And you think, well, that's the staff's job. That's the pastor's job. You know, that's the elder. No, that, that's every Christian has this instruction. We're all supposed to be encouraging one another toward love and good deeds, toward the good things that God has called us to. We all know, and don't point at anybody or punch anybody, Okay. We all know some people who have critical complaining spirits who bring you down when you're around them. We all have people like that in our lives. We all know that if we have a choice between somebody who will encourage us and somebody who's going to have a critical negative spirit, who would you rather be spending close time with? The encourager. Everybody would choose the encourager. Well, if that's true, why don't you become the encourager? Why don't you make it your role? to be that encourager for the people around you. Don't be the critical negative spirit that people don't want to be around. Be the encourager. It doesn't mean everything's good all the time. It doesn't mean you're on top of the world all the time. You don't have to have that to be an encourager. And that's part of what we're talking about today is everything doesn't have to be perfect for you to be the encourager that God wants you to be. It certainly wasn't perfect for Paul. It wasn't perfect for those people who belonged to the church at Corinth. It wasn't perfect for Titus, Paul's co-worker that went there to Corinth on his behalf. They had struggles they were dealing with, but they're still called to be encouragers. Well, let's look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 7. We're going to pick up with verse 2 here. And I want you to think about, as I read through, I just want to read through the passage we're looking at today all the way through. I want you to look for connections here of the cycle of encouragement, of how this one encouraged that one and that one encouraged that one. Look for that as I read through the passage, the cycle of encouragement that's there, okay? 2 Corinthians 7, beginning with verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joys know no bounds. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were, we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. 
He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on the account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you've not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. I hope you saw some connections there of how one person's encouraging another led to them encouraging another, and it just became a whole cycle of encouragement there. So let's break it down a little bit. Uh, three areas in particular of this cycle of encouragement. The first one is how Paul encouraged the Corinthians. If you remember this whole series we've talked about, remember that first letter that he wrote, he had gotten reports about some things going on at the church that were not good at all. And Paul always wanted to be encouraging, but here's the thing we forget about encouragement. Encouragement does not mean that you just say everything's good when it's not good. That's not honest, truthful encouragement. Uh, it's, it's, in fact, has a negative effect. If you just always tell somebody what they want to hear all the time, thinking you're going to be that great encouragement to them, it loses its impact. If they don't know you're really going to be truthful with them, then even your encouragement doesn't mean much anymore. <laughs> I mean, you're just a flatterer now. You're not an encourager anymore. So you have to be willing to also hold people accountable if you're going to be an encourager to them. Accountable when they're doing good and accountable when they're not doing what they need to be doing. And that's the hard part of being an encourager. Back in Proverbs in the Old Testament 27, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Did you catch what he's talking about there? If a person is a true friend and an encourager to you, then they'll be willing to tell you the truth about things. That's what a true friend does. Paul emphasized to the church at Corinth, I love you guys. I would die for you guys. But what you're doing is wrong. It's sin. You need to repent. You need to turn from those things that aren't godly, that are going on in the church, in the family of the church. And you need to make amends for it. You need to make correction for those things that aren't what they ought to be. 
But he didn't just leave it there. He didn't just say, you guys are, you know, you know this is kind of how some people think of the church. You're all going to hell because you're all awful people, right? Uh, th- that's kind of some people's impression of the church and our message to people that are messing up in their lives. Well, that shouldn't be the approach, obviously. That's not God's approach. That's not the approach of Scripture. The approach of Scripture is, here, look, I want to expose to you the, the, what's right and what's wrong. I want you to learn that and see then, you can see for yourself, what you're doing is not right, and therefore, God wants what's best for you. I want what's best for you, so let's make the changes that need to be made. And then you turn it to the encouragement to make the changes, to repent, to turn, to get back on track where you need to be. That's where the encouragement really comes in. But there has to be correction, honest correction, for there to be honest encouragement in the right direction of life. In 2 Timothy 4, uh, Paul is giving instructions to uh, a young man, younger than him, that he's been mentoring as a pastor and leader in the church named Timothy. And he says to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. And then he gives him some uh, specific things to do with his teaching and preaching. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I've had people come to me over the years as a pastor and say, oh, you just hurt my feelings so much with what you said Sunday, right? It just, you know, I just think you came down too hard, and I know you were just picking on me, right? That's, that's what you were doing. You, now, I didn't have a clue what was going on in their lives most of the time, okay? But because they were guilty of something, when I taught that from the Word, when I taught on it, what what does the Holy Spirit do? He brings conviction, right, into our hearts, into our minds. And so you think you're being picked on when, in fact, God is working through the Spirit and the Word to bring this to your attention, not to condemn you. That's the mistake we make. Not to condemn you, but to correct you, to get you back on track where you need to be. And yet we take it so hard personally sometimes that we don't allow the correction to occur. We get all defensive and we get all mad because we think we were being singled out or attacked in some way. But when God wants to encourage us, he never wants to encourage us into something that is harmful or destructive in our lives. That's not encouragement, is it? That's not the kind of encouragement we need. If something really is wrong, it really is bad, then we don't need to be told it's good. We don't. That's not truthfulness. That's not going to help us. We want encouragers that will really help us. And sometimes that means we have to have things exposed that we don't like to have exposed so that we can make the corrections that need to be made in our lives. Paul said to Titus in Titus 2.15, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So along with the rebuke and the correction, he always included encouragement. When he was training these younger pastors, when he was mentoring them, he said, yes, you have to uh, rebuke. Yes, you have to discipline and correct, but always, always put encouragement with it. Everybody needs that. One guy said to his pastor, he said, pastor, I I don't mind you telling us that certain things, you know, would send us to to hell. I just don't want you to seem so happy about it when you tell us. You shouldn't want that for anybody, right? So there needs to be correction, but there should always be encouragement to go along with that. So so we see Paul here has had to bring hard correction to the church at Corinth in that first letter. 
But since then, he sent Titus there, and, and he sent this other letter that he's written to them. Uh, here's this letter that he's writing to them about, about why he's excited now and encouraged to see what's happened. You see, he wanted to not only bring discipline to them now, he wants to make sure. I back this up with the encouragement because what Titus came back and told Paul is, they listened to your first letter, Paul. And they've made correction. They received it the way you hoped they would. They recognized it was out of love. They recognized that it was only wanting what's best for them and that God only wants what's best for them. And so now Paul can say to the church at Corinth, man, I am so encouraged by what I hear about you guys now, by the report that I've gotten from you. Had the Corinthians made those corrections, right? Had they, had they repented and made the changes as hard as it was for them to hear those, those rebukes and that discipline? You know, discipline's not fun at the time, but it produces good results when it's handled right. And if they had listened and they, they allowed themselves to be disciplined and they never heard anything from Paul like, good job, guys, way to go. If they had never heard any of that, how do you think they would have felt about Paul? They probably wouldn't have had the same love and affection for Paul that they had because they did receive that encouragement. Now, now guys, this is a great lesson for parents because all of us, all of us can fall into this trap as parents of making sure we correct our children without also coming behind it with the encouragement that we need to give them to. And it's hard as a parent. I mean, in the flesh, the natural response is, I'm mad, and I'm going to punish you, and I'm going to discipline you, and, uh, you know, this is, the, this is what's going to happen to you as a result of your bad behavior. But if we see them making changes and doing good and trying harder, man, they need to hear from us on that too, don't they? They really need to hear that from us. Thank you. for I, see, I can see you're trying harder. I can see you're doing better. You know, you're picking up your clothes now. You're, you know, you're, you're at least for a little while. <laughs> I see some changes here, right? I see some things happening that I ask you to do, and you're doing them. I'm so proud of you. They need to hear those things. Or your grades were bad, but I can see some grades you brought recently were better. I see you working harder and making those improvements. They need to hear those things from us. They also need to hear it in a spiritual sense, too. I see you getting involved in the youth program. I see you uh, encouraging the other kids at church. I, I see you, you know, taking time to read your Bible or pray. I see, you know, point those things out, encourage them in those areas of their lives. They need that encouragement because I can guarantee you this, they're not going to get encouragement for that anywhere else out there in the world. They're not. They need it from their homes and their churches that they're connected to, their families. So let's be those encouragers. Paul definitely encouraged the Corinthians when he saw that they were serious about accepting the correction and making the changes. So why was Paul able to do that so well? It's because Titus, that's the second one of the cycle, Titus encouraged Paul. I mean, Titus went to deliver Paul's letter to Corinth. He went to help out and be sure correction was being made. How would you like to get that assignment? from Paul. I'm sending you to this troubled church. They got all kinds of problems. I've had to discipline them and bring correction to them. I want you to be my, my person that goes on my behalf and, and uh, lets the, the church know what's expected. And boy, that's a tough job. That's a tough job. But Titus was obedient to what he was called to do, even when it was hard. 
And he interacted with the church at Corinth, and he shared Paul's intent and love and correction, too, at the same time. And, and he, he worked with them to, to be able to come back to Paul and say, I got a great report for you, Paul. This is so good. I mean, these people let me know right up front how much they love you, how much they appreciate what you're doing, even though it was hard to hear. Paul needed to be encouraged. There are times when, as a pastor, I work with other pastors, and I mentor other pastors, and I'm part of a group of pastors that we get together regularly. And I can tell you this, not just speaking for me, but on behalf of my brothers in Christ that, that, that are doing this job, especially during this last year and a half of COVID, this has been one of the hardest times pastors have ever experienced in their lives. And many of them have quit and left their role as pastors because they just couldn't take the criticisms anymore. They couldn't take the complaints anymore. They just felt like no matter what they did, people were going to be mad, angry, critical. Whether they said mask or no mask or social distance or no social distance or do this program or don't do that program, no matter which way they went, a segment of their churches were going to be mad at them no matter what. And it was amplified during COVID because you weren't also getting the feedback of the person-to-person, -person, you know, we appreciate your fast. You know, you didn't have the face-to-face -face there for a little while where people were there to encourage you like they were at one time. And so many of my pastor's friends, at so many of our times we got together were in tears because they just weren't getting the encouragement that you need to do the job and do it well. And when you're not getting the encouragement, Satan works on you. He works on you anyway, but man, when you're not getting the encouragement, his negative things are amplified that much more, right? Not just for pastors, but for everybody when you're not getting the encouragement. COVID just amplified that more than ever before. And because of that, what Paul did wasn't COVID, but it was a tough time, right? It was a hard situation. I mean, things at Corinth were not good for a long period of time, and he's trying to turn the ship around and get it going the right direction. And he had to be very direct, and he had to point out specific sin, and he had to, to, to call people out in the process. And that's never easy for a leader to do, ever, whether it's a church or a company or anything. It's never easy for the leader to do that. And when Paul got Timothy's report back, it had to have been such a refreshing thing for Paul to hear those words. Paul, they love you. They appreciate you. They're listening. They're correcting. They're making the changes that they need to make. They're, they're very supportive of what you were trying to do there, Paul. And they want to thank you. Nothing more refreshing to a pastor than to hear that you're your church family is listening and learning and growing and making the changes that God wants them to make in their lives. That's, that's the most encouraging thing a pastor can ever see or hear. Satan uses a lot of people, even in the church, to criticize and tear down. And the more of us that we can get the understanding that what God has called us to is to be encouragers for everybody, including the pastors and leaders and teachers. When you can become an encourager to them, and man, it strengthens the whole church. It makes the whole church better when they're getting that encouragement that they need to get. So let's all understand that, that, that Titus was able to encourage Paul. Now, Titus wasn't on Paul's level. He was, he was underneath Paul. He was a, being mentored by Paul. He was being taught by Paul. But still, to get that report back from him, knowing that he knew firsthand what was happening in Corinth, it, was, it made all the difference. 
as I was preparing this message, I went back and read a story I had read before. It's a true story. A teacher uh, in a classroom asked her students one day in class. They had had a lot of bad things going on within the class, and she was trying to get things back on track. So she said, all right, everybody take out a couple of sheets of paper and write down every student's name, and she listed them for them, and everybody wrote down every other student in the class, wrote down their name. Then he said, I want, the teacher said, I want you to write down one good thing about that student, one positive thing about that student. And it took the whole class, ran into the next class, she, next period, and she kept it going until they all filled out something good about everybody on the list. Then she took them up and they left for the day. The next day she had compiled for every student in that class, the list of the good things everybody else said about them on a sheet of paper. And she gave it out to each student that day in class. She said, I just kind of listened as I gave them out, and these kids started reading. One kid said, I never knew that person liked me or liked that about me. Another person said, I, I, I never knew that that, that person thought I, I helped them that time. You know, there were things that she could overhear that they were kind of saying to themselves, muffled to themselves and the rest of the class that's all she heard was those good things that they were reading about themselves well when class was over they they left for the day and she never brought it up again never brought up those lists never said anything else about it she wondered if it really made the impact that she could see a difference in the classroom she hoped it made even more of an impact than that one day, this teacher got word that one of her former students that had been in that class had gone into the military and had been killed in military service, and their funeral, his funeral was going to be there in town, and she still lived there and went to the funeral. And as, she, as people passed by the coffin there where the, the soldier was in the coffin, she was one of the last ones to go up there, and one of the soldiers that was attending to the coffin there looked at her and said, are you, and said her name, and she said, yes. And he said, uh, this guy named Mark, he said, Mark talked about you all the time. You were his math teacher, weren't you? And he, she said, yes. He said, he talked about you all the time and the difference you made in his life. And she just appreciated it and thanked him. And they all, from the old class, went to lunch after that, and the teacher joined them. And there at lunch were Mark's parents. And Mark's parents came up to the teacher and pulled something out of their the dad pulled out his wallet and pulled out a little folded up note out of his wallet. She recognized it right away. It was the list she had made of all the good things the other class members said about him. He'd kept it in his wallet and it was on him when he was killed in battle. And this note had been folded and refolded and creased and stained. You could tell he had read it over and over again. She just started tearing up. And when another student saw what the parents gave them, she said, I got my note too. It's in my dresser drawer. I pull it out all the time. And one by one, different students that were there for the funeral said, yeah, I got mine too. And another one said, I've got mine with me right now and pulled it out right there on the spot. See, those students in that math class needed that encouragement more than anybody realized. They never realized how much it was going to mean to those people. That teacher never, in her, her, her biggest dreams, wildest dreams, thought that, that one exercise was going to make that kind of impact for the rest of their lives. 
Friends, you need to know God wants to use you to impact other lives that way. He's called you to be that encouragement to some other people to make that kind of difference in their lives. You ever wonder, what does God want me to do with my life? Well, you can be sure this is one of the things God wants you to do with your life. He wants you to be that encouragement to other people around you. Encouragement to the good things that God wants for them in their lives. Well, obviously we know that Paul encouraged the Corinthians and Titus encouraged Paul, but but we also know the third one was the Corinthians encouraged Titus too. I'm sure Titus was a nervous wreck when he had to go there and spend time with them knowing that he was Paul's uh, protege and representing Paul there and what Paul had done in the first letter to to correct and rebuke them. And he, he had to be so nervous about it. Let's look again at verse 13 to 16 of 2 Corinthians 7. Listen to it again. He says, by all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to, you was, uh, uh, said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. His affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you are all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I have complete confidence in you. Paul said to the church at Corinth, thank you for being encouragement to my co-servant, Titus. Thank you for refreshing his spirit, refreshing his soul. It means so much to me. You see, Paul loved Titus. Paul appreciated his work and his life and his ministry. And he wanted Titus to be encouraged and refreshed too because he knew Titus could get beaten down. Titus could get discouraged. Paul was mentoring and pouring into some younger men because Paul knew, I can't always be the one that's there. I can't always uh, be around. I can't always be the encourager. I need to to have some other people in work and ministry too. And so he was pouring into them. And friends, I got to tell you, the longer I've served in ministry, the more God has made it evident that all of us need to be pouring into the generations coming behind us and encouraging them to stand for Christ and live for Christ and represent Christ well in the world. They need us to be their encouragers more than ever in this world today. We need to take that seriously. Instead of being that critical, complaining spirit in their lives, they need that encouragement. Yes, we still need to bring correction. Yes, there still needs to be accountability. But man, do they need encouragement from us. Let's make sure God's using us to be those encouragers to them. I want to close with this, friends. It doesn't matter what level you're on, how powerful or successful you seem to be. Everybody needs this. I saw a documentary years ago on 60 Minutes. They did this documentary on the day that President Lincoln was assassinated there at Ford's Theater. And in that documentary, they were talking about the things that were on his person when he died. He had a pocket knife and had a wallet and had some money in the wallet and different IDs and stuff like that that he had. But there in his wallet, they had pulled out a note, a newspaper clipping that he had kept in his wallet. They showed it, they had it there in the documentary. This, this newspaper clipping was yellowed and worn and creased and stained up and everything, but it had been preserved. You could tell it had been folded and refolded a whole bunch of times. This newspaper clipping was an article by a British journalist who had written about Abraham Lincoln. And in that article, he wrote this. 
The majority of Americans are very critical of President Lincoln. But I'm convinced he is going to end up being one of the greatest presidents that America has ever known. Now, let me ask you this. Can you picture the president of the United States over in the corner of one of the rooms in the White House after being beaten up by the press all day long, going into the corner and pulling out that note and reading it again? Because how much even the most powerful man in the world needed that encouragement in his life. The president needs it. Your pastor needs it. Your leaders in your church need it. Your, your boss at work needs it. Your coworkers need it. Your friends need it. Your family needs it. Everybody needs us as Christ followers to be those encouragers in those people's lives that God puts around us. I've, I'm so blessed that I can encourage other pastors because of the encouragement I receive. Our elder team, through all of COVID, we prayed together and worked together. We came up with a plan on how we were going to respond and what we were going to do and how gradually we were going to open things back up over time as, as the numbers got better and all of that. And our elder team, boy, it was longer than we thought it was. We thought, you know, 14 days flattened the curve, right? That's the way it started, right? We thought we could get through that, right? 14 days is no big deal. We had to shut down everything, and we were already online, but we had to go totally online, no face-to-face -face for months. Nobody knew that's the way it was going to go, but the elder team kept encouraging. They encouraged me all the way through it. So because of that, I could encourage other pastors that were dealing with that too. Our staff, man, that was hard on the staff. I got to tell you, it still is. We weren't able to do everything we had normally done, and our roles had to change a little bit. We couldn't do it the way we had always done it, the way we were trained to do it. We couldn't do it that way anymore, and we had to relearn and redo stuff, and our staff stayed very unified and encouraging to each other. I'm so thankful for that. Our volunteers, man, we had some volunteers that, that we had to ask them to do some things that were hard too and make some changes that were very difficult. And we had so many volunteers that just, they were on board from day one and have stayed so faithful and committed and supportive through the whole process. Man, that's so encouraging to the, to the staff and elders to see volunteers like that. Our in-person and online members, man, when we were all online, we didn't know who, who's going to connect, who's going to stay connected, and who's not. We had no idea, right? And online, we see numbers of people connected, but we don't recognize the, the data doesn't give us exactly who that is and where they are when they connected. It tells us maybe the town they're in. We had people connecting all over the United States and in several other countries who have connected with us online, and we're so glad you're connected with us there. But we also wanted to know our church family was going to stay connected, Right? And some of you were so encouraging, you let me know. Man, I know I'm not there right now in person, but I'm with you every week online. They let us know. They emailed us. They called us. They, they talked to us and let us know. We want you to know we're sticking with this. We, we're going to be behind you through this. And we're going we're gonna to stay faithful through this. And, man, that was so encouraging to get that from those members. 
that were connecting online. And then when we started coming back person to person, face to face, we had so many people that started coming back. And man, it was hard, right? The first time you did it, some of you may be here the first time today since COVID started. You're back for the very first time. It's a little scary. It's a little, I can remember the first time I was in a big crowd after COVID restrictions began to be lifted. Sue Ann and I went to our granddaughter's volleyball tournament and there were more people there than I felt comfortable with and tighter quarters than I felt comfortable. I remember how awkward that felt the first time. Now, isn't it amazing in just a year's time how we went from loving crowds to thinking, oh no, I can't be around the crowd anymore. It was that quick that everything changed, right? So I know it was a hard step for a lot of you to take to come back person in person, face to face. And I'm so thankful for those who've been able to do that. But hear me online people too. Some of you I know can't do that yet. And there are reasons for it. And we understand that. We're just glad you're staying connected there. Thank you for letting us know you are connected there. It's encouraging to see that happening. We all need that kind of encouragement. And especially today, he's, he's here in this service at Antioch campus, Ricky Denning, my brother in Christ here. He was an encourager before the pandemic. He's been an encourager all the way through the pandemic. And the title of this sermon series, Be Encouraged, is his, I call it his tagline, right? Every time he, he leaves a service here at Lakeshore, you know what he says to me? Be encouraged, Pastor. Be encouraged. Man, that's like saying, if you're from Georgia, sick him to a bulldog, all right? He's done that for me long before COVID, all the way through COVID, still doing it today. We all need encouragers, don't we? You can be that for the people in your life. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate encourager. You know what it says in Scripture, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, right? What an encouragement for our lives. We are supposed to grow up to be like Jesus. Jesus would die for us. Jesus did die for us. What an encouragement for our lives. Let's be that for others too. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that in Christ we have the encouragement of your love, your care, your provision for us. And because of that, we are empowered in a way that would enable us, with your help, to be the consistent encouragers to others that you want us to be. Help us, Father, to grow in that area. We repent where we haven't been that, like we needed to be. We ask for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. We thank you that it's always there for us. But, Father, moving forward, help us to represent you well as the encouragers you've called us to be. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.